Good morning. We're going to give people a few minutes to join. Early session here on a Tuesday? Tuesday. Could uh, somebody out there do the obligatory check on um, audio and video? Can you guys hear and see me okay? Hey, Dylan, welcome. Just grabbing some notebooks to do payroll. Good morning, Chris. Rainy Tuesday for you? Good, good, good. We got rain here as well. Which means I didn't have to water the garden this morning. It's only the second time this summer. Um, the rain has not been fun. Okay. We'll get started in a couple minutes here. Um, if you guys have any questions, start getting those primed and ready. Let's see, that is 2.5. Where are you located? Uh, Central Missouri. We're in Ashland, Missouri. Um, if you know where Columbia, Missouri is, if you follow college uh, sports at all, uh, University of Mizzou is in Columbia. It's right in the middle of the state. We're just south of them, about 20, 25 minutes. Uh, eight, Alright, we're going to do something kind of scary. I'm going to minimize this and hopefully it doesn't stop the Okay, well, good to know, good to know. Oh man, math is fun. So that is one point two five three. Da if you guys have any questions, go ahead and throw those in the comments. We'll, we will, wool, wool. The accent is thick. Uh, we will get started here in just a moment. I gotta get some payroll info out. We got some more folks joining. Good to see you guys. Okay, so that is done. Okay. Uh, I don't have my pen I normally have that helps me scroll. That's all right. We'll do it the old-fashioned way, right? Okay, let's get rolling. Uh, welcome. 
to Mealworms and More, uh, early morning edition. Uh, I think this is the earliest one we've done so far. So my name is Justin Meyer. I'm an admin in the um, co-op group here on Facebook, uh, and I own and run Midwest Mealworms. Uh, we are in central Missouri, um, in Ashland, and um, sorry, I can't write and talk at the same time. And what we do on these sessions, uh, we chat about mealworms, anything mealworm related, whether it's uh, raising them, any problems you might be having, uh, business questions, um, process questions, whatever you've got on your mind, uh, feel free to ask those uh, in the comments below. Um, if I don't respond to your comment, um, there's a situation where Facebook doesn't show me everything. I uh, don't yet quite know why, what causes that, but if I seemingly ignore you, um, message me on Facebook, Facebook Messenger, uh, Justin Meyer, um, and um, let me know that uh, you asked a question. Let me know what that question is. I should be able to see it on the side. Um, but we'll go ahead and, and answer anything, and I am mobile. Uh, so we can move around. Um, I can go into the farm if you need to. There's the nice rain outside finally um, If you guys want to see anything or have questions about anything, uh, I am happy to help All right, we got a few people going today I had a, an order come in all of a sudden uh, this morning, um, but I was lucky enough to be able to put that together real quick, and I've got a delivery uh, midday today for uh, Bird's Eye View down in Jefferson City. Alright, done with that. Done with that label. How is everyone doing today? Quiet group so far. Karen, good morning! Good to see you again. When you sell the feed stores, how do you know what to charge them so they make a profit too? Very good question. Um, there's a couple scenarios off the top of my head that I can think of. So honestly, it really depends on how that feed store wants to um, sell the mealworms. So a couple things. Uh, I have one account where it's like kind of like consignment, where I, I drop off the mealworms. Uh, they don't pay for what I drop off, right? So they're not paying for that right away. Um, they just get a percentage of what sells. Um, hey Sue, welcome. Uh, glad you're up early too. Um, so um, they get a percentage of what sells in the shop. Um, and so that is really just dependent on you know foot traffic, how much goes through, and then they get that percentage and then I get paid um, the other uh, percentage that's, that's mine basically. Um, so I'm dropping off cups of pre-packaged mealworms, so things like this generic label. In some cases, I have one account that doesn't want my name on there. Um, that's fine with me. Um, doesn't bother me at all. Um, but I'll drop those off. Uh, and then with that scenario, I'm dropping those off once a week. So I will drop those off. They'll be the mealworms are in a fridge, the superworms are, are outside of the fridge. And then every week I'll replace those. And then we just keep tally of what uh, what is sold. And then at the end of the month, we settle up. 
Um, so the other uh, scenario is I have a customer that buys for me in bulk and they cup them themselves. And so they will buy, you know, similar to somebody who's buying from the website and getting it shipped to them, uh, they'll get, um, you know, just live mealworms. And in this case, I drop it off in a cooler. Uh, so I take it down in a cooler. Uh, he's got a bucket that I pour it into. Um, and then he packages it up because uh, he'll make different variations. So he's a bird store, so he might do straight mealworms. He might do mealworms mixed with suet. He does a couple other things. Um, and so he manages that because he wants to, to um, prep that in a certain way. Um, so those are two different pricing options. So it's the, the first one is basically a per cup price. Um, and then the second one is uh, bulk uh, wholesale. And so uh, you want to figure out what your wholesale price is and just roll with that. In some cases, you might have a delivery uh, fee. Um, in this case, um, so the, the uh, store down in Jeff was actually my first big wholesale account. Uh, and so there's no delivery charge because I need to go to Jeff City once a week usually anyway. Um, and then uh, uh, I'll drop off for him. Um, and he's been a fantastic um, person to work with and kind of help me out. Uh, so uh, he and I work together real well. Um, and then the cups, you know, in, in the other city, it really depends. And, for, and I'm, it's a long answer, long answer, but I'm getting there. So the, those options are going to vary as far as what your price is. Um, but you also need to look at what the cost is for, um, in the, especially in the cup scenario, what a person can buy mealworms for in your area. And so that's going to be very different based on your region, right? So it's going to take some research, some footwork, or calling on the phone and say, hey, do you sell mealworms? How much are they? And just kind of see what the going rate is um, and see whether or not you can compete with that. In some cases, uh, there were a couple locations um, that I couldn't get into because they were uh, grandfathered into pricing that was very, very cheap. And I, I don't blame them. I said that if, if I were you, I'd be buying from these folks too because that price is, is insane. Um, so uh, at some point, um, you know, you're going to have to kind of figure out for your location what, what quantities go for. And then you need to make sure that the uh, place you're selling is getting a decent amount. You know, like if, if five or 10% is far too low. Generally, you're probably looking at 20 to 30 to 40% going to the, to the store. Um, and it's really gonna depend on that individual store. So uh, in some locations I've seen, they're actually physically writing up an invoice uh, on an invoice sheet. They're still using one of these for old school like retail sales. Um, and in that case, if I have to write all this stuff down to sell one cup of mealworms that's maybe, maybe cost seven, seven bucks, I'm going to need, as a, as a store owner and the person filling that out, I'm going to need a decent chunk of that $7 to make it worth it. Um, and so, you know, if you've got a more advanced store that's using something on the computer and they can very quickly boop, 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 then you might be able to get away with a smaller percentage. Um, but I would say start higher uh, than you think. Um, and if they don't like that price point, they'll tell you, they'll, they'll be honest and tell you, you know, you know, straight up, straight up. Nope. That's not going to work for me. I need at least 30. Okay. And then you'll be able to, to evaluate that. So go into that conversation, knowing what your costs are, which are very hard to figure out, um, because there's a lot of variation and dependencies there. Um, at least it was for me. Uh, but, um, know what your price point is and be honest with them. If they say, can you do 30%? If you're not prepared to say yes to that, say, I haven't looked at that number. I need to take a look at that and I'll let you know. Uh, I'll get back to you in XYZ, whether that's one day, two, whatever your turnaround time, and then stick to that. So um, what I've found is that the store owners and the folks that I've been able to approach and talk to are very open to being told, I don't know the answer to that. 
they're not going to be, oh, well, you don't know what you're talking about and walk away. Basically, they're going to uh, listen to you and still be okay. So hopefully that helped. Um, if you have any questions about that, please, please let me know here. Uh, Chris, I see that comment there. Thank you for patiently waiting. Got 500 to start breeding and left them in a tote in my garage for a week and it was about 90. They didn't move much. So I moved them inside where it's about 65. They are mostly still but move when I handle them. Should they be okay? Also, do they require any moisture, vegetables, et cetera, for hydration? Um, Karen, you're welcome. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Chris, so I'm gonna make an assumption. So if you bought 500, did you get that locally? Um, and if so, um, there's a couple scenarios. So they might be getting ready to pupate. So if they're getting ready to pupate, if they're large mealworms and they're getting ready to pupate, they're gonna slow down a bit. Um, and so that could be what's going on. Uh, Western Australia, Ian, sorry, I saw that and couldn't, couldn't, uh, get away from Western Australia. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, back to where I was, oh, oh, large mealworms and pupation. Um, the other potential, uh, thing is that some locations will treat their mealworms with a juvenile hormone. Uh, it's a natural hormone that the mealworms have but it's applied chemically in abundance um, to stop them from pupating. Um, and I, I, the reason why it's used, um, I don't personally use it, but the reason why it's used is because when companies ship to pet stores, big box stores, uh, those stores are not equipped with the personnel that are trained and probably not enough people, to be honest, uh, which isn't the people's fault, um, probably not enough people to be able to take care of the mealworms. So, um, like the consignment I was talking about earlier, I replace mealworms every week. Uh, and so they're healthy, they're hydrated, um, and everything's fine with them. They're not chemically treated. The chemical treatment slows down or stops pupation so that when somebody goes to a big box store and buys a, a thing of mealworms that might've been sitting there for two weeks, they're going to get mealworms, not pupa. Um, although pupa have more protein. So it's kind of like, you know, um, and so I'm wondering if that might have happened. I got them at an exponent in the end, they aren't large, but I have about three pupating last time I looked. Okay, so more than likely, if you got them um, at an expo, they weren't treated. And so that's a good thing if you're trying to pupate them and, and start breeding, which you are. So uh, good deal. Um, that Very likely then that they are uh, just getting to that phase where they're large and they're going to start transitioning. Um, hydration, yes. Mealworms need hydration. Um, they can pull some of it out of the air. Uh, so uh, in high humidity scenarios, they can pull some out of the air. It takes way more energy for them to do that, though, than it would to just eat on something like a carrot, potato, you know, cucumbers, things that you have. Uh, careful with cucumbers because they're really wet. Um, you want to add uh, enough that the entire bin is fed, but not too much that they can't eat it all within 24 hours. So that's going to take some experience and just some tinkering. So with 500, I would say put a couple slices, thin slices of potato, you know, thin, um, maybe like, what, an eighth of an inch, uh, something skinny, um, or a couple uh, carrots, you know, maybe some baby carrots, four or five cut in half, uh, long ways um, to expose more surface area. Uh, but they are going to need to, to eat uh, or to drink something. When they start to pupate, pupa don't need moisture. So you can pull those pupa out. If you leave them in there, um, they're more prone to be cannibalized by the, the mealworms that are in with the larva. Uh, so the optimal scenario is to take those out. Um, but that's not mandatory. As long as you keep them well hydrated, your cannibalism will be low. Um, and if you're, 
what did you start raising these for? What, Chris, what are you raising these for? Are you doing it for a gecko, for chickens? Um, like what's your end use for this? Uh, because there are folks that, you know, if you're feeding one or two geckos, you can keep all the life stages together. It's not the, the most super like efficient. You're not going to have them coming out of your eyeballs, but you're going to produce what you need. Um, and so it just depends a little bit. Humidity is at 40, but I want to avoid mold. That's good. Uh, 40 is a, if you want to avoid mold, keep it below 50. Once you start going above 50, you have to be much more careful and aware and, and checking it more frequently as you add hydration in to make sure you're not overhydrating, because then that will turn into a mold scenario. Uh, I put a couple of gel beads in and they came to it, but it was quickly buried in a mess. Uh, what kind of gel beads? Um, there are some, uh, some products that I'm, I'm thinking might not be able to, uh, the meal owners might not be able to bite into it. Um, so uh, what, what did that happen? Uh, to, uh, tomatoes. So I actually put cherry tomatoes in a couple bins recently just to play with them. And um, there was nowhere for the meal owners to be able to access uh, and get in. And so the cherry tomatoes stayed in there for, I want to say like a week and a half. Um, and they couldn't break into it. Uh, so the, their mandibles are not super, um, super tough. So they might have a problem chewing into something. And remember, they're teeny tiny, right? So a, a gel bead to them is this huge sphere. It'd be like us biting into the side of a table uh, that was the size of a sandwich. Uh, clear, slimy ones. There might be a tough exterior shell to that um, that they can't uh, bite into. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if that's the case or if there's just too much in there. Uh, and they're just not able to eat them fast enough, then they'll sink down, right? So be, as they move uh, through the substrate, things that are on the top are going to sink down. Um, so I would remove it, maybe put less in next time uh, and just see how they go. As they get closer to pupating, uh, they're going to slow down and not move as much and not eat as much. They'll eat, they'll, they'll hydrate themselves, and then they're going to start that process where they just kind of lay there, look dead, and then they're going to pupate. Robert, Robert, welcome. Uh, hopefully that helps Chris. Keep the questions coming. That's really good. I like that. Um, sorry, I got distracted. Doo -doo -doo. All right, guys, just to, to reset a little bit, if you have any questions about raising mealworms, uh, selling mealworms, um, any questions you have about the, the farm here, please go ahead and throw them out. I've got, um, I'm on mobile here so we can get up and move around if we need to. I have a, a pretty hard stop at, uh, let's see, 9.30 Central. we got another 40 minutes here. Um, but I do have an appointment at 10 and need to make sure I can get there and do that. Let me close some of this stuff down so I don't cause too much problems here with bandwidth. All right, good topics, good topics. I need a piece of paper, this scratch paper, some junk paper. Can't find one. Ah, here we go. Oh, that's for my orders. I'll keep that here. All right, if anybody has uh, asked any questions that I have not answered, um, shoot me a message on Facebook. Sometimes they hide the... Um, Excuse me, sometimes they hide the, the comments from me or I don't get to see them for some reason. Uh, and this is all being recorded. So Facebook does record these. Um, so for folks that either have to step away or maybe leave early, um, it'll be posted in the Facebook uh, co-op group. Um, and then I'm also going to start putting these on YouTube um, so that folks there, I had a couple of requests from folks that wanted to see it but don't have Facebook, totally fine with me. So 
um, it gets uploaded there. What's interesting to for the YouTube one is it it doesn't look like the comments come through. So uh, me reading them out loud was actually helpful uh, in that regard. So yeah, we'll keep that rolling. Oh man, I wish I had a piece of paper. I'm gonna just use a good clean sheet of paper. Oh well, probably gonna have to do that. Oh, let's see, what else can we chat about today? Um, I did make a change here in the office. Behind me you can see, uh, I did post recently, I'm not sure if everybody saw it or not, but uh, I posted the with the heat from um, the last week, uh, two weeks, really, maybe even three at this point. It's been, you know, in the 90s, getting up into triple digits in some cases, and so I wanted to prepare for that and make sure that, um, I had enough cold air getting pumped into the insect room, which is just over there. Uh, so there is a uh, 14,000 BTU uh, unit pumping cold air in already, but this is our first summer in the new building. And so I wanted to be cautious. Um, I'd rather be prepared and not need it than all of a sudden have uh, super hot temperatures in there and not be able to cool it down. Um, so I proactively put this in, connected my office AC uh, through a hole there, pumps that cold air in um, and then I did have to wrap it with insulation because the condensation started pretty bad uh, and this morning I did see a little bit of wetness underneath I think that's from the rain though I'm not convinced that that's coming from the unit itself because overnight it shouldn't have run very much uh, because it was nice and cool so curious did anyone see the um, the video I posted I think I posted it to the co-op group as well um, of the uh, first iteration of the sifting table um, now that I asked that question I am worried that I am not oh man there's a lot of comments I'm not seeing here I'm sorry guys, uh, I'm gonna check to see if, oh it did It did post, okay cool. Yeah, so I started playing with that yesterday, that was interesting, oh Karen, I see that. Okay, I just bought two bags of wheat bran, it looks like they did a whole grain filler. Do I need to figure out how to sift that grain out or will the mealworms eat it? Rain sounds amazing by the way, it sends on this way. Um, yeah, so we finally got rain. We had a spritz of it late last week and then that was it, and it's been bone dry. Uh, and then the last two days, it's finally raining. Uh, the rain barrels are filling up. Um, so I'm not sure what you mean by whole grain filler. Like there's actually whole grains in there, um, uncracked, unprocessed uh, whole grains. If that's the case, I think the mealworms, unless there's an opening on the end, some of the grains are gonna have an opening that will allow the mealworm to get in there. But unless there's that, um, then the exos, exoskeleton, the outside skin of that grain generally is much too hard for a mealworm to bite into. Um, so I don't think that's going to to work out very well if what you're talking about there is a whole grain filler. Um, Marjorie, I see you, I see that 
Okay, Karen, sorry. Um, yes. So, yeah, you could try it. I mean, if you can pick some of them out and put them in a container uh, with some mealworms and just those, you can see if they'll bite into it and eat it. It might be, might be soft enough, um, but what I've experienced is the, the harder kernels, um, they, they just can't bite into. Uh, Marjorie, can you show me your setup to keep the pupa from the beetles once they turn to beetles? I couldn't get back on the last one. Yes, let's take a quick walk. Uh, and Chris, I see that comment on the on the page there, but not here. So I'll take a look at the that in just a second. We're going to hear that rain a little bit more. Metal roof. But once we get in the insect room, it calms down. Let me turn you guys around here. There we go. All right, Marjorie, let's talk pupa. So, pupa, or fresh beetle collection and pupa. Um, so we've got a stack of them here. Let me back up a little bit. Stack of them there, those are the freshest ones. We've got some older ones here. These are gonna be collected and put in some older bins because these beetles here are probably about three weeks old. Um, so they'll get collected. They still have some egg laying to do, but they'll go in the older bins. Um, but let me grab a, yeah, that won't work. Let me grab this guy. So I don't make it super complicated. Um, I put the pupa in on the wheat bran. I've, ex I've got a couple trays going without the wheat bran just to see. Uh, and then we lay a couple paper towels on top. Um, and so the beetles, as you can see, will grab onto that. I'm going to take this then when I collect them and shake that off into uh, a large red bucket that I have and then put it back in. What you'll notice though is that from an efficiency perspective, it's not super great, right? There's still a ton of beetles that are down in there. And that's, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, my theory is that if I put no wheat bran in here, there's not going to be as much space and, and uh, area for them to burrow down into and feel safe and they might connect uh, to the newspaper or the uh, paper towel more. Um, but what we'll do is we'll collect these uh, three times a week. Um, and then once they're, once all these pupa have hatched or are dead, there are some, there's a, there's die off in here. Everybody's got it. It's nature. It happens. Um, but once this bin is done, what we'll do and a done bin looks like this. So you can see, all these beetles are black. So they've all transitioned and all the pupa for the most part, as I say that, there's one little guy right there. Uh, all the pupa for the most part um, have uh, either transitioned to beetles or are, are dead, right? And so what we've been doing is these beetles have been in here laying eggs. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna uh, harvest these beetles. Uh, we'll shake, at this point, we'll shake it out. So we'll use a 1 8 inch mesh and we'll um, sift it to separate the beetles from the substrate. We'll put the substrate back in this bin because there are eggs all in this substrate and then all on the bottom. And then we'll take the beetles, which are about three weeks old at this point, and we will take them and put them in our older bins. So here's our, our beetle bins. We'll put them in the older bins, which are, are on the left side. All the younger ones are over here. These, like this stack here, is probably going to get culled, and so we'll probably start adding them about here just to add in some fresh beetles because there are there is die-off, right? So you can you can see in here that there's some beetles that aren't moving, unfortunately. So we'll just add a little bit more um, in there so that they can keep uh, keep laying. And so ideally, you'd be able to to harvest these more efficiently. I just haven't found a way yet. 
Um, hey, Belzar. Um, so I did try pupa bridges. Um, actually uh, lucked into a bunch of them. Scott uh, from Space Coast Mealworms had sold a bunch to a company that uh, was actually closing down. They were moving into the, the food aspect of mealworms as opposed to raising them. And so I was able to get a bunch of pupa bridges and test them out. And I just did not like them. Uh, the beetles hang on to them. Um, the pupa will fall off um, because we're, we were trying to get enough in there to get 1,500 beetles to be able to hatch and get in here. So you have to add more on top of that. So we were doing like 1,750 pupa um, and it just didn't fit well. They pushed off and the beetles hung on to um, the, the actual pupa bridge. And so it just made processing a little bit more difficult. So uh, that's what we're doing there. Hopefully that answers your question, Marjorie. I'm going to head back to the computer and see if, see if it does. Uh, but yeah, if you guys have any questions about anything in here, let me know. Um, as we breeze by, you'll be able to see the uh, harvester testing. That guy there. We need that in order to turn around here. We need that uh, processing to get more efficient because we are doing a lot of harvesting, which is a good problem to have, uh, but we need to get more efficiency in that. And it is still raining. I love it. All right. Man, it really bums me out that there's all these comments here and I can't see them. Oh, you might try sifting out the hard bits and buzzing them in your blender to break it up a bit. If the grain and see if the worms can eat. Yes, um, that's a good good suggestion, Sue. If you do have a uh, a way, Karen, to uh, grind those up. Um, that could be a good a good substitute. It is extra work, but it's a way to put that grain to good use uh, if they can't bite into it. Uh, Chris, follow up. Oh, I see this here. Uh, I used a large pill bottle. Excuse me, sorry. I used a large pill bottle lid, but it was buried and there were a few on top uh, within 10 hours. Quite a few were huddled under the lid. They do like to get underneath things, uh, so that doesn't surprise me. Um, I don't usually set the water gel crystals on anything in a tray uh, for the mealworms. I do it for the superworm beetles so I can see um, when they might need to get more moisture in the bin because uh, I'm still getting familiar with the superworm beetles. Um, but the uh, for the mealworms, I literally just throw them in on top. That being said, I, I know from years of experience um, that the amount that I'm throwing in is going to be eaten. So the, the bins that have older mealworms, I put, I'm putting in a really large handful. I've got big hands, um, six foot three, so the, you know everybody's hands are gonna be different, so I'm just trying to give some proportions. But I'll give a, a good-sized handful uh, of water gel crystals for the larger mealworms, uh, same for the beetle bins, and then as the mealworms get younger, uh, so we start feeding them uh, water gel crystals at four weeks, um, and so we'll put less water gel crystals, like half of a serving or whatever, um, half of a handful into the smaller tray because they're not going to be able to eat it as quickly um, before it dries up. And so dried up water gel crystals are a pain in the neck from a processing perspective. Um, and the, the lid, um, the other downside to the lid idea is that um, you have now put all of your moisture in one spot in your tray. And those mealworms have to travel all around that bin to try to find hydration. So if you can spread that out, so things like um, uh, grating or chopping up or, or processing <coughs> carrots,
uh, potatoes, things like that, to be able to spread them across instead of just slicing a potato in half and throwing it in the bin. Um, it's just going to cause your mealworms to, to use more of their energy to move around the bin as opposed to grow. Uh, so in a, in a low efficiency scenario uh, where you're not raising them for any sort of you know, business purpose, that's perfectly fine. Uh, not a big deal, but just something to keep in mind. I want to do super worms, but a breeder at the expo said that they were really difficult. He's only about to give up and just go to mealworms only. Uh, yeah, I, I know exactly what, uh, what that feels like. Um, I think like two years ago, I gave up on the super worms and focused on the mealworms. Um, and what I found is by focusing on the mealworms, I was able to get much more experience with them. Uh, and now with the added space, I am back to trying again with the superworms. Uh, so far, I've had a couple issues. I'm still having higher beetle die off than I want. Uh, so I'm trying to figure that out. Um, I'm having higher die off from pupation. Um, and so I think that that's probably just related to me not hydrating well enough before I pupate them. So I'm gonna try to really focus on that, get them hydrated really well. Um, before they, they go into the separation chambers. Um, and then I just had a bin of like medium-sized mealworms just start dying off. Uh, superworms are much more prone to viruses uh, than mealworms. So a superworm is not uh, a, an insect that is geared towards being raised in high, uh, high, uh, what sort of, high population density. Um, and so, you know, the, in nature, they like to spread themselves out a lot more than they are able to in a confined space like an insect farm. And so they're much more prone to viruses. Think of it if you shoved like 45, 50 humans in this small office, right? And one person has a cold, everybody's going to get it because it's a small space. Um, so they're very prone to die off, uh, which is very frustrating. Um, but I'm also, I, I don't know if it's that. Uh, all of a sudden, like one tray dies off. Uh, I don't know if that's a virus or not. I have a feeling that maybe it's just something else going on with hydration. Um, I'm also not feeding them water gel crystals just to make sure that I've got things under control from a what's going in perspective. So I don't know if the water gel crystals are causing any problems. The beetles don't seem to be bothered by it, um, but uh, I have paired that back for the actual larva. Red potato slices today. I keep lots of veggies from my dubia colony. Oh man, the, yeah, the dubia go go through um, um, food like crazy, absolutely crazy. Good questions, guys. All right, let me make sure that I haven't missed anything. I see there. That's good. Da -da -da. Karen, I see that fantastic idea. Good, good. All right. Very cool. I don't want to do that. Hopefully I didn't mess up the feed here. All right. Okay. Uh, we've got another 24 minutes left, so keep the questions coming, guys, if there's anything else I can help with. I have a delivery in Jeff City today, and I had one order come in late. Uh, somebody's farm died off, which is super crappy. Um, got really hot, and the mealworms um, died, unfortunately. And they're, they're needing some before they go out of town next week, so I'm going to ship some today. Would you share your story on how long you've been in business, what you started with, and how long until you started selling? Uh, definitely. Um, awesome question, Marjorie. So 
started with not. so I started seven and a half years ago now um, I started with a thousand in a three drawer system uh, it was a Rubbermaid tower that had I think like ten trays but I started with three uh, my goal uh, was to raise them for chickens so my neighbor and I were sharecropping chickens and um, he runs an organic farm and so um, the feed had to be organic and it was very expensive I'm a very frugal individual, so uh, I tried to see if there were things, other things I could do um, that maybe took time for me, uh, but could potentially save money. Um, and so I started researching things. Uh, I did sprouting grains for a little while, uh, and just couldn't get couldn't get that squared away. Uh, I didn't enjoy it. it a lot more work than I thought it would be, um, and I'm sure I was not doing it super effectively. Um, but then I stumbled across new worms, and so. Uh, I started raising those with a thousand uh, in my closet in the house. My wife is amazing. Um, and I just got addicted uh, to raising them. Um, and really what drew me to it was the process aspect of it. Every time the colony size increased, um, I had to change something about how I was feeding them, how I was processing them, um, how I was dealing with uh, the different tasks that are necessary. Um, you know, you have to collect frass at different times once you're trying to optimize. Um, and so it turned into, uh, in the first couple years, it turned into just, it was just for us and for the chickens. Um, and then I started to have a super abundant amount and more than I needed. Uh, and I started looking into just giving them away and found that there was a demand for mealworms for feed, uh, just like what I was doing. Um, and then in the reptile world as well. And so I started, uh, I had to learn about reptiles. I had a couple when I was a kid, but I, didn't, I don't remember much about that. And I don't know much about reptiles in general. Um, and so I started selling mealworms very cheaply. Uh, and I would put it in the listing. I would say, I'm selling these cheaply. They're good quality, but I'm new at this. I don't know what you might need them for. I've got questions. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can work together to help, help each other out. And people responded very well to that. Um, and so I, I remember I drove 30 minutes to sell 500 mealworms for $6 once, right? Like time, gas, I lost more than I gained there from a, a product perspective, but I talked to that person about reptiles for 30 minutes. Uh, I remember I was in a grocery store out in front and we would just stood there and talk for a while. Um, and I, I just would learn as I went. Um, I had the luxury to do this though, because it was like a hobby for me. It was a side gig. Um, I have a, I had a primary job at the time, um, that was, you know, corporate America doing what I needed to do. Um, and I was doing this as a hobby on the side. And so I could do that. I could take that, that hit basically, um, of not getting myself paid, uh, but still being able to learn about what, uh, what folks needed mealworms for. Um, and so then things kept growing. Uh, eventually, it, it seemed like every time I expanded the colony, I tripled it in size. So I went from those three, three drawers to the, the whole 10 drawer system. Then that grew to uh, 20 or 30 trays, those black cement mixing trays. I started building towers in my basement, um, and then it got too big. Uh, there was a slight odor. So from the dead beetles um, and the frass, just a very slight, slight odor. Uh, but it was enough for me to say, eh, enough of this, we need to get it out of the house. Um, and for anybody that's going to run a larger um, a larger operation, you know, more than 10 trays, I would say don't put it in your house. 
Um, the frass aerosols very easily. Uh, the bran, you know, substrate is going to create dust, uh, and that stuff is just not good in general to have um, running, circulating through your house. Um, so then I moved out to our uh, outdoor building, metal building, took over a third of that. Um, I've got some really old pictures uh, that would be really interesting to maybe repost. Um, and I started using the white dough proofing trays to maxim maximize space. Then I tripled again and basically took over that whole shed um, and was operating in there for two or three years, uh, building up the business, building up clients, building up knowledge. Uh, and then this big building happened. About seven or eight months ago, I left my corporate job. I'm doing this full time. Um, I've got two part-time employees and so it was a big side hustle for a while a lot of hours in the evening I would you know the kids would go to sleep at 7 7 30 I'd be out in the millworm farm working that night um, But I enjoyed it. It was a good way for me to disconnect uh, There was no Wi-Fi in the old building and so uh, I could go out there and not get work emails not get phone calls uh, It was a nice kind of moment of Zen to just go and chill and, and relax a little bit. So um, Yeah, that's the that's the, the long and short of it. Let me go back and double check to see if I missed anything there. Uh, from, a, from a how long did it take until I started selling? Probably two or three years, but that was mostly because at the time, I didn't go into it with the goal of selling, right? So you could ramp that up much quicker if you wanted to, um, getting beetles and mealworms and starting with like larger quantities. Starting with beetles will definitely give you a jump start. Um, but the, the selling aspect of it, it's going to be slow at first and it's going to trickle. Um, and, and then it'll start to drip and then it'll get a little bit more and more. Uh, but it's just a matter of time and grinding it out. So, all right. Thank you, Marjorie. That was a really good question. Uh, Chris, I do whole grocery trips for my do. <laughs> I bet. Uh, I spent 13 of these yesterday and they eat a lot of non-medicated ground chippy. Um, the mealworms will eat that as well. If it's not, uh, it, it might need to be ground up a little bit. Somebody was asking about this recently. Um, it's been a while since I did unground uh, medicated, unmedicated chick feed. Do not use medicated chick feed. That was a slip of the tongue. Um, so the, the crumbles might be too hard for the mealworms to bite into. Uh, you might need to, to crush that up a little bit. But it's worth a shot because if you're already using that, Chris, for the for the um, dubias, you can use that for mealworms as well. Um, it's a it's a good uh, a good substrate to mix in. It's dense and heavy, so don't put it too thick if that's going to turn into your only one. Um, the mealworms aren't going to want to go down into it because then it gets too heavy. There's too much pressure on them from the top. Uh, what are your thoughts on using leafy greens like cabbage, lettuce, etc.? Ian, thank you for being patient. Um, I saw that question and I was trying to get through the other one. So. Uh, yes, leafy greens are amazing. Um, I've got multiple posts um, on my, my Facebook page, Midwest Mealworms LLC. I've shared a bunch of them to the Facebook group as well. 100% uh, leafy greens are a great source of moisture uh, and nutrients. Um, what I found is uh, there was one they wouldn't eat right away. Parsley. I threw some parsley in from some food waste that we had uh, last week. They didn't, they were not keen on that. It took, they went after some other stuff first, but once the wheat bran was gone, um, they did eat those leafy greens. Um, oddly enough, they will eat cannabis leaves. So uh, 
there's a, a local producer here um, that's raising cannabis and we did a little test. We took some of the leaves and put it in there and they ate it right away. So leafy greens are awesome. It's actually one of my backup plans in the event that I can't get wheat bran. Um, I've got a, uh, I need to get a battery powered mower, but I've got a gas mower right now. I'd like battery so I can charge it with solar in case something happens. Um, but the, the goal would be to basically mow the lawn. Um, I don't apply any fertilizer or anything like that. Um, and there's no pesticides or herbicides that are going to kill the mealworms. Uh, so I'll mow that and then use that as a moisture source and as a, you know, bedding kind of, um, for them to be able to, uh, to eat, uh, in the event that I can't get wheat bran. So, uh, 100%. Um, James, what about giant mealworms? Giant mealworms are, um, the, uh, mealworm species. Um, so Tenebrio molitor is the species for mealworms. Giant mealworms are... Um, regular mealworms that have been given a growth hormone, uh, or no, sorry, a juvenile hormone. So it's naturally present uh, in the mealworm. They produce it, but they're given a copious amount of it um, artificially. And what that does is it forces them to not pupate. Um, so they can't pupate uh, into the beetle. Uh, and all they do is keep growing. So instead of having, I think in general, a mealworm is going to have anywhere from Oh, I want to say 10 to 15 instars, which are molts, right? So as you see those sheddings on your on the top of your bins, um, those are just the skins as they shed them, right? So like locusts, a lot of people have seen locust skins, exoskeletons on trees as they molt and grow, uh, grasshoppers, things like that. Um, Mealworms are the same way. They're going to shed that exoskeleton and get bigger. That's how they grow. And so what that juvenile hormone does is it stops them from pupating. And so they just keep growing. They get bigger and bigger and bigger. So those are what the giant mealworms are. They are easier um, to get on a hook for fishing. That's where I usually get the see the demand for that. Um, I don't use those chemicals right now. Um, it's just a decision I made to, because I don't have the demand for it. I don't want to cross-contaminate and put chemicals into bins that may not be going out for fishing. Um, and so it's just not something I've, I've um, decided to do. So um, they do have their purpose, though. Uh, I have no issue with them. The juvenile hormone is a natural thing, right? It's naturally occurring in them, uh, but it's a whole lot more than, than they need. So uh, good question, though, um, about the giant mealworms. I'm just going to check the post here to see if I missed anything. How would you progress? Uh, Shirley, I'm sorry I didn't see this before. Um, it's not on the feed here. I really don't like that. Uh, how would you progress from a three drawer to a 10 drawer? Would you move the beetles to frast to wait to see if there are worms? Um, how would I do that? So surely, that's a good question. Um, what I would do, I'm trying to remember back seven years ago, uh, and we're kind of doing it now here. Um, you want to, uh, generally, if you're going to keep your colony size, you want to keep about, um, 10 to 20% of your harvest to pupate and turn into beetles. And so if you're wanting to expand your size from three to 10 drawers, you're going to want to keep more back. So you're going to want to move into like the 30 to 40% range. You can keep them all if you wanted to, right? It just depends on what, you, what you're needing them for. Um, and if you need to continue feeding chickens, geckos, whatever it is that you're raising. Um, but you want to go ahead and keep more of those back to turn into pupa and then ultimately beetles. Um, and then you're going to... Uh, the other thing I, I changed was I went from every... Um, 
I think it was once a month I was changing the beetle tray. Um, and so I went from once a month to every two weeks so that I could produce more bins with, with the babies in it. Um, and then from the frass perspective, so I actually never sifted the frass out of the beetle bins. Excuse me. Um, I never sifted the frass out of the beetle bins um, because they just didn't produce enough frass to make it worth the effort to do that. Uh, and so what we do is um, we'll sift out the substrate, separate the beetles from the substrate using a 1 8 inch mesh uh, sifter. That works for us because we're doing wheat bran. If you've got like flat oats, then it's super difficult to do this sifting process. Uh, it's one of the downsides to, to things other than wheat bran. Um, and you don't want to use a real fine powder because the beetles don't seem to like that. Um, so, uh, we'll, we'll sift out and separate that substrate. We'll put the beetles into a new fresh tray, uh, and then we'll put that substrate back in the tray it came from because it's got eggs in it. And then it's going to cover the eggs that are on the bottom of the tray. Um, and you want to uh, do that. The beetles are going to lay eggs for the first two to three months of their life. And then it drops like they lay 95 plus percent in those first two to three months. Uh, so you can start keeping track of your beetle ages. So you know when to cull a bin so that you can then use that bin for fresh beetles that are going to lay. Um, and so it's just a matter of um, keeping track of the beetles and then changing them, swapping them out a little bit more frequently and holding back to get more production. The frass perspective, you only need to mess with that. Um, you need to find a sweet spot where uh, the, the amount of bran that's in the bin gets eaten up when the mealworms get to the point that they're ready to be harvested. And that can be kind of tricky. Um, environment variables are going to play a, a part in that. What you feed them plays a part in it. So if you go from giving them just potatoes and wheat bran to then giving them all sorts of nutrients and different like food waste, food scrap scenario, they're going to grow faster. Um, and so you're going to uh, just kind of need to watch that. If you run out of substrate um, and there's just frass in there, you can sift it. There's nothing wrong with that. You want to make sure it doesn't get too thick. Uh, if it gets above three quarters of an inch, you probably want to sift it. Um, but you can sift that frass out. Um, you don't have to till it gets much thicker. You could always just add bran in, let them grow some more. Um, but sift the frass out and then use that in the garden, uh, in your houseplants, things like that. Um, and just put the mealworms in some fresh substrate. Um, you don't need to worry about the frass having uh, eggs in it unless you are sifting your beetle bins for some reason. Um, then you, you are definitely going to have eggs in the frass. Uh, and if you use it right away, it's probably not going to be a problem. But if you're storing it, then they will hatch and get, get into the frass. So hopefully that, that helps. Um, surely if you have any more questions on that, go ahead and throw that into, uh, into the comments here. Joanna, good to see you. Is there an easy way, easier way to transition my new beetles from the mealworm trays right now? I'm doing it manually. Uh, remind me, Joanna, what substrate are you using? If you're using something um, that's not fine enough, like a, a wheat bran um, or something like that, cornmeal, something that's that's um, finer to sift, it's really difficult. Um, so what what I'm doing here is. We're using wheat bran, and then I'm using uh, chicken wire, which is just a little bit bigger than one eighth inch mesh. So it does let the, the wheat bran through a little easier. Um, and I think it's a little bit bigger because the manufacturing, like from a quality control perspective, it's meant for a, for chicken wire. It's not meant for, you know, scientific measuring stuff. So I think the measurements in between each grid are a little bit bigger, um, but we use that to sift things out. If you're adding new beetles to older beetle bins, how are you sifting out the dead ones? I don't. 
So we don't sift out any dead ones. Um, we, we call the bin at two months. So once the bin reaches two months of, two months of age, uh, we'll call the entire bin, whether they're alive or dead. Um, if they're all dead, then that's a problem. Um, usually they're alive. Um, the, the bins that I think this is in reference to Marjorie to the, to what I did earlier when I showed you the, the bins where we add beetles in, um, those beetles are already two to three weeks old that we're collecting and adding to older bins. And really it's just like a really small amount, maybe like 20 or 30 that we'll put in each bin just to give it a little refresher, um, for some of the beetles that may have died off while that bin's been, uh, in, in its cycle. Um, Chris, do the beetles eat the eggs if you don't move them in time? Yes, they will cannibalize. Um, moving them in time is debatable, right? So moving it in time is really dependent on what your goals are. Remember, you can keep all three life stages together and still get mealworms for a gecko. Um, but you're going to cannibalize um, in that scenario, uh, and you're also going to see much higher cannibaliz cannibalization. Is that a word? Um, you're going to see a much higher rate of that if you don't provide enough moisture. Um, so as long as you see your beetles, uh, eating off of the, the, uh, hydration sources you give them, um, and it's not like a mad dash, like if you put a piece of potato in and they're all on it and they're fighting over it, they haven't been hydrated well enough. Uh, and so in that scenario, they are going to go after those eggs because those eggs have moisture and they're also going to lay fewer eggs because they don't have as much hydration in themselves. Um, so think of, think of it like when, when you're running a marathon, if you don't hydrate yourself, you're not going to make it right. Same thing with beetles. They need hydration in order to produce, produce those eggs. Joanna, I'm using old fashioned wheat. Um, is that, is old fashioned wheat, like wheat bran, like flakes? Um, man, I wish I had some in here. Um, like flakes or something else. Um, if it's, if it's the, like wheat bran flakes, I'm mobile. Let's go take a look at the wheat bran. What am I thinking? I wonder if it's still raining. Yeah, a little bit. Mostly we just hear the fan. Uh, Old-fashioned wheat. Wheat grain. Okay. So we're going to come in here and look at... So there's my wheat grain. Get it up into some light. So it's nice and feathery. It's flaky, right? It's a byproduct of wheat processing. Uh, so we're able to put it to a good use with the, with the uh, mealworms. But it's real flaky and light. And so... That goes through the one eighth inch mesh sifter really well, and so that's how we're we're separating right now. Um, that's how we're separating our beetles from the substrate. Uh, in the future, what I'd like to do is um, use a, a mesh grate basically to put down like a tray within the tray, so that all we have to do is lift the beetles out. Uh, but I'm still working on getting those designed, tested, built, that sort of thing. Uh, that's just going to make processing much easier. Um, but we've been shaking and sifting the beetle bins uh, like that for like four or five years. So, um, all good. Uh, do you weigh your pupa or do you actually count them? Uh, both. So we'll count them similar to both the beetles and the mealworms. Uh, when we were counting the pupa for the pupa bridges, um, we would weigh out, you know, a collection of 50 get the number, weigh out a different 50, get the number, weigh out a different 50, right? Rinse, repeat, um, do that. I think we did that 10 or 20 times um, to to then be able to get an average. Uh, and then we we weigh them at that point moving forward. Uh, with the mealworms and beetles, we do that pretty frequently. Um, and by that, I mean like maybe once every couple months just to keep a, a good beat on the size that we're doing because the mealworm size 
can change just a little tiny amount. Um, and then the, the weight of, you know, one, two, 5,000, 10,000 is going to change, right? So we do check those, uh, frequently. Excuse me. All right. We have got four minutes left. I, I still see questions. So I'm going to keep going, um, uh, up until the end. And then, um, just know that this is recorded. It is going to get posted. If you did have any questions and I didn't answer them because I couldn't see them or it wasn't working, I will answer them, uh, in the comments of the Facebook live. Uh, and then I will also be uploading this out to, uh, to YouTube as well. So just an FYI, uh, Chris, uh, I saw the AC. What temp is it in your uh, breeding room? It is, uh, we try to aim for 78. Um, it's actually been running a little higher in the last week. Uh, that's why I did the AC unit over here uh, to pump in some extra cold air just in case. Because um, this is the first summer for us in the new building. Um, and I'm just being very cautious to make sure that I've got enough uh, cold air coming in. Uh, and that that AC can, can keep up. Um, I'm actually gonna have to move it though because it's becoming a cleaning nightmare. Uh, it gets gunked up real easily because that room's real dusty. Uh, so I'm gonna have to take it out of that room, um, put in some duct work and things like that um, to, to help with the uh, efficiency of it. But it's working now as long as it's clean. So I'll probably leave it this summer. I don't wanna risk moving it uh, during the hottest time. Things are working okay. It's just more manual work for me. I'll take care of that this winter. Um, but we shoot, we shoot for 78. And the reason for that, like optimal is really 80 to 85. Like you can go in the low eighties. Um, I stay away from that because, um, if something happens, right? Like it was Friday, it was 104 degrees. If something happens to that AC unit and my temperature is 78, I, I have more time before it gets into that 85 plus bad zone, uh, room temperature where the trays, because mealworms generate heat, those trays are going to be much hotter than 85 and they're gonna start cooking themselves. So that buys me time to, uh, I do remember distinctly one time this helped, um, my AC went out and that morning I was able to get to the hardware store, get a replacement unit and get it installed before it got super hot that day. So um, we're losing efficiency, 100% uh, losing efficiency, uh, but I'm trying to mitigate the risk of something bad happening, just risk of avoidance. Sue, do you see much difference in the size of the pupa you see in the trays? Yes. Uh, the reason for that is um, stress causes them to pupate, right? And so when uh, we've actually had a couple things going on in the last couple weeks that have impacted that. So one is uh, we got behind. So both my part-time guys were out um, and I was the only one in here uh, and we kind of got off to a bad start uh, that week. We got really behind. Uh, and so some of the trays didn't get sifted in time. So they didn't have enough wheat bran and without enough wheat bran, they got stressed out. And so they started to pupate, which was smaller pupa. Um, the other thing we see is uh, during sifting, right? So imagine yourself on a roller coaster, getting sh shaken around, right? It's stressful for most people. Uh, a lot of people enjoy it. I don't, I'm not a roller coaster guy. Um, but the, the mealworms will get stressed as a result of being harvested. And so we do see early pupation there as well. Um, and it's just part of the game. Uh, we, we grab those, we put them where they need to go. Um, I have not noticed any sort of detrimental impact to the colony over the years of not doing size selection. Uh, and so it's not something we've had to, to invest our, our time in to do. Uh, ta -ta -ta. only a minute left here. We're going to go a little bit over Karen. Appreciate you taking time to do these super for me. Thank you. I appreciate it too. Keep coming with questions. I'm, gl I'm glad to see you here. 
Um, Chris, is 70 too cold in my house for them? No, no. Um, sorry, I didn't even go down into the lower ranges. So mealworms can survive uh, down up in, down down up into <laughs> down into freezing temperature. So they can actually withstand freezing for just a little bit, um, and then they they will start to die, right? Because it's below freezing. They're not built for that. Um, but uh, you can put them 70 degrees is going to be fine. What you lose as the temperature goes down is efficiency in production. So as the temp goes down, they're going to slow down themselves. And so if if you're in a 70 degree room, you're gonna they're not gonna grow as quickly as if you were in an 80 degree room, uh, and that that goes down basically exponentially as you decrease the temp. Uh, so one of the ways to actually slow them down on purpose is to put them in a fridge. So folks will take them, put them in the fridge, and then they'll last longer for the use that they need. Um, uh, and it's a, it needs to be like a human fridge, right? So not like a cold room or anything. You want to be at about the 38 to 40 degree temperature range. Um, and then they'll slow down. They'll still eat. Uh, so you do want to put, uh, if you're not going to use those cold fridge mealworms within two to three weeks, uh, you do want to go through a regimen of putting in a bit of wheat bran so they can eat and then take them out once a week to hydrate them. Uh, let them eat for a little while, moisture source, and then remove it and then put them back in. Uh, James, do you have to freeze your wheat bran before using? I've seen people put it in the oven. You don't have to do either one of those things, but you absolutely should. Um, so what that's preventing is a bug outbreak of bugs you don't want and bugs you do want. Uh, and so what's going to happen is you want to put it either in a deep freeze, not just a regular freezer. So right, your regular freezer that's attached to like your fridge in your kitchen um, or your fridge in your house, wherever it might be, is not cold enough to uh, kill off things that might be in the substrate. So it needs to be a deep freeze. You're, you're needing zero degrees. You need something low. Um, if you're going to, going to heat it in the oven, totally fine. Um, I don't personally heat in the oven because I need a, a ton of it. Not a ton, not yet. Um, I'm using about, what is it, like a thousand, thousand pounds a month? Half a ton a month? It sounds cooler to say half a ton a month, right? Um, so I'm using 50 pound bags. So I have a dedicated deep freeze here. I throw them in there, leave it in there for 48 hours, two days, uh, and then it's good to use after that. And what that's doing is avoiding mites, green mites. You don't want those. They will kill your colony if they, um, if they get out of control. If you have a mite outbreak, you can beat it, you can defeat it, head to the co-op group. There's lots of people there that offer suggestions, uh, search for mites or grain mites, uh, tons of posts about it. Um, so they can be defeated if you get them, but try to be proactive by putting your, your substrate through either a deep freeze uh, for two days or cooking it. Uh, and I don't remember how to cook it off the top of my head. I don't do that frequently. Um, I'm always deep freezing it, but uh, some, somewhere in the co-op group is the, um, the instructions uh, that folks use on, on uh, cooking it. Um, all right, we are a couple minutes over. I am going to go ahead and, and close things out. Um, Felicia, I do see your, your question there. What is the thickness of R rating of the pink foam that you used to insulate the rooms? Uh, I've got R10, yeah, two inch uh, rigid foam R10 on the walls, plus, um, oh shoot, what is it? R13 uh, bat insulation in the walls. And then on the ceiling, I've got uh, one inch, which is R5, and then blown in insulation. Um, I want to say it was like 13 or 14 inches deep to get me up to like R40 plus. Um, I spent the money on that because I'm going to be in here for a while, and that will help keep my um, 
uh, insect room, one, temperature stable, so it's not going to fluctuate a lot, uh, and two, lower cost over the long term, right? If, if you're not playing the long game, change your insulating ideas or, or needs, right? But uh, I'll be here for a while, so I went ahead and did, uh, did the beefiness of it. Um, thank you, James. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. Good questions, James. Keep them coming in the future ones. Marjorie, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for the question. Uh, Chris, thank you. What's the name of your page? Uh, Midwest Mealworms LLC. Midwest Mealworms, LLC is my page. I post all the time in the Facebook co-op group too, um, so you can find me there uh, both as Justin and Midwest Mealworms. Um, but thank you guys for coming. Again, I'll answer any questions in the comments here uh, on Facebook. Um, ideally today, I'll try to get to that. Uh, and if there's anything else you need, let me know. I'll get another one of these scheduled for next week and we'll keep it rolling. Thanks all for joining. I appreciate it.